transmitted live across the Atlantic 3,000 miles and five hours backwards in time. We are now getting your sound clearly and we are looking forward with great anticipation to seeing your program. of Match Report. I'm Jack. I'm here with Manny. Manny, how you doing? All good, man. All good. How's your week been? Not too bad. We just uh, had our our second ever uh, football weekend watch party. This was at GMT Sick. Tavern here in uh, Manhattan. And nice, nice. what the owner did not tell me is that he would be handing out free shots whenever there was a goal scored in the Man City <laughs> Tottenham game. It ended up being... <laughs> It ended up being a way different Sunday. Yeah, it was a way different (laughs) Sunday than I expected. (laughs) There's quite a few goals as well, then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what really did us in. I mean, uh, what'd you make of this game? I I thought it was end-to-end. It was a lot of fun. I always thought that there was a good chance that Tottenham Mm -hmm. could, you know, make a game of it. Did I think they would win? Not necessarily. But they are sort of City's bogey team. They won five out of, five out of the last seven. Yeah. And and Son loves scoring against City as well. Uh, and then playing on a counter-attack, it suited, suits him so much. Um, so it wasn't a surprise that, that he got a goal. I think that with, with uh, Tottenham's injury, especially at the back, I didn't see them winning the game. Um, but to see them get you know a few goals and end up equalising well, Kulisewski at the end there, I think that they did well to hang in there. Um, City were great going forward but susceptible at the back and I think a lot of the big teams this season we've just seen quite some sloppy goals that have, that have gone in um, and City conceding goals in transitions and conceding goals where they're just not as as assured at the back as they normally are um, and they normally kill teams off once they're a goal or two ahead you usually don't see the ball for about 10 minutes and that really takes out any momentum a, a team can get back into any game against them. But the City this season, they just seem to be letting a lot of sides get chances against them. And if you're clinical, the way Tottenham were, then you are going to get a chance. Um, but notoriously, City, they start slow. So they kind of give you that false hope that, you know, maybe this season, you know, if you keep playing well, you can get at them. But then, you know, second half of the season, they turn it up. The Bruyne is going to come back man on form, man on, you know, with, with, with a passion and, and with a vendetta to, to get some silverware again and has missed so much of the season. So, yeah, it was, it was a good game to watch for the neutral. Um, but that's one game they've won, I think, in four now since they've had their injuries Tottenham. So it's, it's, not, it's not looking good for them. Yeah, I agree with you that it feels inevitable with City, but I will say they seem to give up more chances than they did. Mm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I, I, I was struck by how early, you know, Tottenham are, are a dangerous side. Uh, but the way that Young Min's uh, son was able to get in behind them so early, and also he was one-on-one with Jeremy Doku for some reason. I don't know mm-hmm. what kind of mix-up there was in the Man City marking or whether they were just caught out. Uh, but one thing that that really struck me, what struck me about that was it reminded me of what a powerful runner that Youngman's son is. He is such yeah. an athlete. Where Jeremy Doku, who we think of as one of the best dribblers in the league, which he is, some guy who has you know that lightning pace that uh, you're afraid of as a defender. 
But he, as a defender, was run all over by Youngman's son. And it does remind mm-hmm. you that even with Madison out, even, you know, James Madison out, even with Spurs injuries, they have one of the best forwards in the league. And I think he showed it again, sure. not just in the goal that he scored, but the danger that he presents forces the opposition to set up in a different way. I think even mm-hmm. Man City you know, as brave as they are on the ball, as brave as they are in terms of their, you know, attacking setup, uh, they have to account for a player like that. And there's not many teams in the league that have a player that, that makes City change their their setup. But they didn't change it enough, apparently, because they, they shipped yeah. three goals. Uh, but, you know, I, I should say, before we get into anything, the both of us, were I'm more more so me slagging off uh, Phil Foden for his lack of end product, <laughs> and he promptly scores in midweek in the Champions League and scores again here. Yep. Uh, you know, yeah. is he proving us wrong immediately? Is this what we've been waiting to see from him? Um, with Phil, he he fails to deceive sometimes, and I just think he has purple patches where. Four, four or five games, you're thinking, okay, this he's going to go on to become, you know, that main man for City. He's going to become a, a, a main player for the England national team. You're going to really see him take that mantelpiece um, and lead the next generation of, you know, for City. And then he'll go through another period where he's, he's, he's really quiet. He's out of the team. He's not favoured by Pep. So as much as it was, you know, he wasn't on his, on his favour the last, last few weeks and, and he's turned it around. We could be back in the, in the same position in a couple of weeks. So let's, let's, I guess it's best to just be patient with him. Uh, he probably does need that as well. But, you know, he had, he's had a good couple of weeks and long may he continue, to be honest, because you always want to see young players do well. Um, you know, any fan across the country, of course, if it's not against your own side, you, you do want to see them develop and, and do well. Um, in regards to, you know, to Son that you mentioned, I don't think there's many players in the league that are more dangerous on a transition um, you could argue maybe Rashford, but, you know, Rashford's been poor this season. But, you know, those are two players that Pep has always come out and, and said that they're a danger. Um, and if you don't deal with it adequately, you, you are going to get punished. Um, and I mentioned to to Brian Gill, who's come into this Tottenham side now, almost out of nowhere, and he's now performing. Uh, and that's that's testament to the manager that he's been able to bring in fringe players who are able to produce and and play his style of style of football, um, and really yeah, and really start performing for him. But Tottenham, as long as they've got their injuries, um, I think they may start to fade away a little bit. Um, but no, it was, it was a good good entertaining entertaining game to watch. I think defensively for City, it, it may be a, a sense of I mean the only change they've had is Gavridol, a left back, who's kind of taken over of Ake. Um, Ake then came back and. He lost that header to Kulisewski, so you're thinking that's one of his strengths, that box defending. Um, and and Kulisewski is not the greatest in the air. He's not he's not the most athletic. He's not the strongest. So maybe that was just a timing thing, a, a lacks of concentration. Um, but yeah, they they do seem they do seem to be conceding a few more goals than than we're used to. Yeah, I yeah I I was sort of shocked by. City's defending at times, but I, I'm just not convinced that they're the same side that they were last season. You listen to mm-hmm. Gary Neville talk about this stuff about you know his own experience winning a treble at Manchester United, the hangover that you can have. 
it's an yeah. easy excuse to say that the commitment is not the same, but I can only imagine myself in that position, having won everything. <laughs> Do you approach every single match with the same intensity? It's impossible for us to say, and maybe that's not the explanation for what happened here, but it makes yeah. some sense to me. And I do, I do see something different uh, with this outfit compared to last year. I, I think yeah. you're right to point out um, at, at defense. I think anytime that Nathan Ake is is not starting for Manchester City, they're a worse team. I think Nathan Ake is the one of the best uh, defenders in the league. And Kulisevsky, yeah. who we don't think of as that guy, nips in, gets into the back post. And I think he deserves his flowers, not just for that, but in general for, you know, his... Uh, he, he's a delightful player to watch, I think. I say this reluctantly as an Arsenal yeah. fan. But when he gets on his left <laughs> foot, there's a real dexterity and artistry to the way yeah. that he approaches his work. Um, but this was not an example of that. This was not an example of him playing in a delicious <laughs> ball, you know, in behind the defense for somebody to latch onto. He just gutted it out. And, you know, he, he got up yeah. higher, he got up earlier and, and he put it home. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a great player to watch. I think his main attribute is probably his balance. He can glide past players. He's not, he's not quick. He's not particularly athletic, like we said, but, you know, he's got a great balance. He can shift the ball. Um, on either side really quickly and, and got that change of pace. But, yeah, I mean, what can you say? I mean, City, you know, conceding an equaliser like that uh, in a manner that they did probably does does indicate a bit of just lack of concentration. That's that's the only thing. Or maybe desire. Um, you know, even the young players like Alvarez, he's already won a World Cup. Winning a World Cup at such a young age, winning a treble at such a young age. Haaland, you know, he's missing sitters that we've never seen him do before. Just makes you think, what's going on here? But, man, City, Pep, you just, they're just that gift that just keeps, keeps giving. You know, they, they're the worst at just ripping away any hope. So, I don't, I don't know. My, my hopes solely lie on Arsenal. Um, I think it's just, it's going to have to be a bit of complacency from City. And, and just pure drive and, and, and hunger from Arsenal to chase them down. Uh, not even chase them down, just, just keep, keep going for the, for, for the summit and just not, not letting go. Um, Arsenal can't slip up at, at any moment, really. Um, and I think Grealish coming back into the side, getting a goal as well, that was much needed for him because, you know, you, you don't see him getting back in the side with the way Doku's playing as well. So, yeah, there's, there's a few decisions to be made for Pep um, over the course of the season. And if De Bruyne does come back, you know, what, what happens with uh, Silva's position? Does he go outright? Does Foden now go on the bench? Does, does Grealish come back in the side? So, yeah, there's still, still a lot to play in the season. Yeah, I, I just can't get a read on what's going to happen with City this season. It, mm. It's tempting to believe that this time is different and that they really are satisfied with everything and maybe they don't bring that extra 2%. But every season they come in through the fall and they're nothing special and they're always there in March and April and they always win. <laughs> it feels inevitable. It feels absolutely inevitable. But we'll we'll have to see. I I think it's worth uh, calling out Gio Lo Celso as well, who, you know, I had huge questions about whether... 
Tottenham could do anything without James Madison pulling the strings. Yeah. You know, we talk about Dayan De- Kulisevsky. He is an amazing creator, but in the center of the park, it felt like they had nobody else who was going to do the job if James Madison is not there. Lacelso came yeah. through with a great goal today, but also, you know, in the first 10, 15 minutes, I'm, I'm thinking, is this man going to get overrun? Is he going to get absolutely overrun mm. by the physicality of the city midfield? But he survived that. He pulled some strings after that, and he got his goal. Yeah. Yeah, again, another one of the players that, that the manager's brought in, and, and he's performing for him. Uh, and just it's probably that system over um, individuals. Um Lacelso has always been technically a great player. Uh, when he went out on loan, um, you could see a bit more of, of what he could add, especially in the final third. He just hasn't kited quite quite right in the Premier League, and that's probably because of the physicality. But no, he's 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 adding that little bit more graft into his game. He's getting about the pitch a bit more. That that could be just you know a, a case of that extra work and extra running that, that the manager's got the team doing. Um, even seeing how they've got two fullbacks playing centre back, but they're still trying to play the same way regardless of of personnel. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not nice having to praise Tottenham so much, but <laughs> the manager's got a clear identity, and, and the players are all buying into it. So you know, when there's that change of personnel, it, it still seems to work. Uh, yeah, he scored scored a great goal, and he does have that ability. Um, but ultimately, they're going, they're going to need Madison back if they are going to want to challenge for for top four and even potentially the league. Yeah, I mean to uh, clear that taste out of your mouth of changing uh, of uh, you know backing Tottenham. I will point out that one of the most Tottenham things I've ever seen was Youngman's son scoring and having an own goal within you know ten minutes of first <laughs> half time. That was you. You look at that on the stat line. You say this is Tottenham Hotspur as we know and love. Yeah, typical. <laughs> and so soon after, you know, going going ahead as well. You know, it was a perfect start for them. I thought it was a great great break, great counter attacking move. Um, you know, from from City's corner. Um, but yeah, it's 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 poor marking. And I've seen a lot of teams have. Their box defending has not been has not been great, you know, in in the Chelsea game and United game and quite yeah quite a few of the big games and you know Liverpool games. You're just seeing that a lot of the top top defenders are just losing their marker. Um, a lot of headed goals are coming through at the moment, set piece goals. So I don't know, maybe there's there's more to it than that. Hmm. Well, it wasn't the only game of the weekend, and it's worth staying on mm-hmm. Sunday before we get into what happened to each of our sides on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, and I, I want to touch on Liverpool-Fulham because I just think, you know, Liverpool are such a fascinating outfit this season. <laughs> I, again, I just, you know, with City, I'm not sure what to make of them this early on. I'm not sure what to make of Fulham, you know, Looking at this, you you see, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold showing his quality from a technical standpoint, smashing in a free kick in the first half. And, you you know, Mm -hmm. to me, I think this is another routine Liverpool win. This is why, you know, in the the Football Weekend newsletter, I say pick up Costa Simicast because even if he doesn't do anything, he's going to be a part of this defense Mm -hmm. that has a nice run of fixtures. They're going to pick up some uh, clean sheets. But are they going to pick up the clean sheets? I mean, what do you make of this team? The team is is poor defensively as a as a unit structure individuals, and 
when you look at the goals that Liverpool scored, they were all pretty spectacular goals. And you're not going to get that every game. You know, how many times is Trent going to score a free kick and then score a half volley? And McAllister's goal, first goal of the season, you know, 30, 40 yards and a half bounce, you know, top corner. It's, it's yeah, like on paper, it looked like a routine win. But when you look into it a bit deeper, Fulham, you know, with, with, a, with a bit more assured defending, they, they could have run away with that. Um, and, and Fulham are, are a team that don't have a recognised or lethal striker. But they've got some good technical players, you know. Pereira's reinvented himself over there. William's still doing his thing. Um, yeah, they're, they're decent, decent mid-table side. And I think most teams, if they're not on the ball, you know, they, they can have a shock result um, against Fulham. But as, as well as they're picking up points and they're getting the wins and they're you know, getting over the line, Liverpool, there's just something about the way they, they're getting those wins that, that's not really worrying me about, you know, them at least challenging for the title. I think they'll be there just because, you know, they'll be around third um, because other teams are just dropping points. But I, I don't see them. They're not consistent enough. And I don't see enough of them dominating teams for them to challenge consistently throughout the season and, you know, and challenge City or Arsenal. And they need to sort out the back. McAllister is your holding midfielder, like I've said. That that can't be your, your long-term solution. Um, Matip partnering Van Dijk. Van Dijk is declining. Gomez has never been a great defender. Trent, as good as he is going forward, you always got a chance against Trent. You know, he's he's always going to get caught out. He's not great, you know, on, on the half turn, you know, running running towards goal. Um, yeah, they just they just don't seem as they don't seem as threatening. You know, a lot of teams, even when you go into Anfield now, you don't normally go to Anfield and score three goals, you know. So I, I just think eventually though their defence will let them down. But they've always they've got goals in that team, and that's always going to give you a chance. Yeah, I mean, I I watched Wataro Endo Endo come on and score. He smashed one <laughs> in, great goal. Yeah. But he's supposed to be the one that's shoring up this midfield and providing that exactly. that screen in front of the the defense. And I think the defense needs screening. I think you're exactly right. The the center backs are not what they once were. I think there's there's questions mm-hmm. to be asked. Uh, and I just, I, we've, I've said this week after week, but they, they just don't have that player that's going to prevent those chances from happening before they happen. Mm-hmm. And that's what Declan Rice mm-hmm. does at Arsenal. That's what Rodri does at Man City. They just don't have that player. Mm-hmm. And, and if they're going to concede goals like, uh, like Aston Villa do, right now I, I look at Liverpool as a similar outfit to Aston Villa, an absolutely explosive yeah attacking outfit where they can put six past you on any given Sunday, but they could also concede three anytime, you know, and that's not, that's not how you win a title. And Jurgen Klopp well knows that he knows that, but uh, I I just don't, I don't see it as, as you point out, I I just don't see it for them in a long-term way. They're certainly the third best team in the league, but how far off are they? I mean, that's really the question. Yeah, I think I think still still quite quite a, uh, a distance, and Aston Villa is a great comparison. I think the only difference probably within within Aston Villa and Liverpool is potentially the experience of the manager, and they've just got better quality. So they've they've got better wingers. They've got you know better options in midfield that can get goals. That's that's the only 
that's the only stark difference. You, you look at, at both teams, like you say, you, you could either score six or concede three or four, whether that's home and away. And leagues are won on defenses. It's not even really won on on the attacking on the attacking uh, front of things. Um, you know, grinding out one nil results is, you know, is it, it, is a better basis of winning the league title than than winning three two or four three or, you know. So, I think they'll they'll they'll, they'll falter. Um, Endo, I haven't, I haven't seen too much of him to think that he can take over the Fabinho role. Um, Fabinho was fantastic at screening. Um, he was great at breaking up play. Even those tactical fouls, um, he was great at as well. He never seemed to get sent off. So, I don't know. I just, I, long term, uh, they, they, they need to change it. They need to change it. They need to change their structure. Probably new centre-backs, um, another holding midfielder. Um and yeah, it's it's it was a good game though, entertaining game. I mean, I will yeah, I will say they scored some fantastic goals. I mean, in amongst all of them, yeah. I thought that the Alexis McAllister strike, where the ball is bouncing across him from twenty four yards out, and he just smashes it in on on the half volley. I mean incredible technique he's playing the wrong position but incredible technique there yeah he's wasted he's completely wasted there like it's it's mind-boggling seeing it like i I would scream to have you know McAllister in that number eight position probably alongside a casemiro and then bruno further ahead because you've got the industry in him to go back and forth but he's got a great eye for goal he can thread a pass through yeah, I, I just, I, I just don't think I don't like that that balance that, that uh, Liverpool have in midfield. Um, that's yeah, it, it's it's a wasted talent for me. Yeah, I mean, what do you think of of Fulham after this performance? Because I think that they're a decent side in need of a striker. I think that's mm-hmm. the, the you know the old story in the Premier League. If you just don't have somebody to put the way put away the goals at a consistent clip up top, you're going to be in trouble. But they're people come out of the woodwork for this side that I almost forget about. I mean, Harry Wilson is a great player and he scored, he scored again today. They have some quality players. They just, you know, you can't have Raul Jimenez, this version of Raul, Raul Jimenez up yeah, top. Yeah, this version for sure. Uh, you know, if you're going to, I guess they're a mid table team, but what could they be if they had somebody to put away those goals up front? I think the next level is probably going to have to be like a, an Aston Villa. Um, and that I think the change in, in Villa was Ollie Watkins after his first season back in, in the Prem, he's then kind of cemented himself as as a Premier League striker, and he's built a lot more consistency, not just in his overall game, but you know also also goals as well, different types of goals. So that is probably what they're missing. Um, but it, it's difficult because it, most of these top top ten sides that start to look like they're progressing, you're looking at Brighton, some of their players will just get will get picked up by, you know, the top four teams and they're gonna have to start again. Being a London club, they've got that advantage of being able to attract better players, especially European players. If they're looking to the European market, you know, and, and get someone from, from Spain or Germany that is not um getting the attention of, of the top European clubs, then they may go up two or three leagues in a table. But realistically there's just they don't have the infrastructure and, and they don't have the, the ownership and and all of that to really become, you know, a top six or a top four club, not not in the immediate future anyway. Um, they'll just always be one of those bogey teams for 
for the other for the rest of the rest of the league. I think. Yeah, but they're great I mean, to they watch, do have the, you know, and they do attack. Yeah, they do have the manager. I think. I mean, bringing on Willie Willian mm-hmm. and you know Bobby Decordova Reed doesn't scream mm-hmm. to me that you're about to change yeah. the game. But that's why I'm not you know paid the big bucks. I mean, they came on, they they got up onto them, they changed the game in terms of getting more vertical, the pressing up up mm-hmm. higher. They look decent. I don't know. I, I, it's Fulham or another side that just it's it's hard for me to make sense of, you know. That I I'm not sure what their ceiling is, but I I guess it must be ninth place. You know, they they remind me of Wolves a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I I think a, an overachievement for them would to sneak into like Europa Conference position. Um, you know, going quite far in one of the cup runs. Um, that's that's the best, I, I think. Um, but what will help them improve, I think, is other teams and other players are saying that actually, if you do go to a Fulham, you are going to play under a good manager, under a developing manager. Um, you're playing in London, which is always an attraction, playing in a major city. Um, and they've got a strong fan base. So there, there, is, there is a stepping stone for them. But it's just... The league, it's too hard without the resources that, you know, United, Chelsea, City, you know, have even now with Newcastle, breaking into that, that top six is, is almost impossible. You'll, you'll have decent runs here and there, like, like a Brighton, but you'll just get your, your best player nabbed and then you've got to start all over again. Yeah. I mean, I guess before we leave this game behind, I guess it's worth pointing out Trent Alexander-Arnold, who, you know, beyond just scoring a couple times, is he changing the fullback position in yet another way where we saw Alexander Zinchenko, Joao Concello when they were at Man City, reinventing the fullback position a little bit? Does his feel different to you in terms of how he's approaching it in terms of stepping into midfield? I, I'm not. This is going to sound quite crazy. I'm not. I'm not a massive fan of Trent. Hmm. Um, he's probably one of the last fullback picks that I'd want in my side. And I know that sounds crazy because it gives you everything that I guess an attacking midfielder or a right winger would give you, but at right back. But you know, I'll, I'll take a fit Reese James, a Trippier, sure. um, a Ben White. A Walker, I'll take all of these players ahead of ahead of Trent just because I'd rather a fullback giving me a solid seven out of ten every single game, and he's doing his job and we're solid, and then we can build out from from there. Then you know, you know, conceding sloppy goals, losing his marker, switching off defensively at the back, but then popping up with you know forty yard diagonal amazing passes and free kicks and assists and it's just yeah I, I i think with with like the fabinho that they had in henderson in their side it just um, mitigated a lot of the risk that trent had so in the seasons where where liverpool were dominating and were looking you know were champions his his qualities good qualities were always outshining his bad qualities and i just think with the midfield structure now with the, the lack of quality in defense He's still doing the things that he was always doing before, but they're conceding now. They're conceding way more goals. Um, and that's that's not what I want for my right back. I'm, I'm too old school for that, man. <laughs> yeah, I guess the question is whether he's uh, 
you know, reimagining the right back position as someone who can't defend from the right back position. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I just think he's, he's such a good footballer that you almost need to have him on the pitch, but you need to put him in a place where he's not as detrimental to the team. Um, and, you know, I've seen in, in, in recent England games where he's actually just started in midfield and not a right back. And you know, I, again, he's decent and he's got, he's got Beckham-esque qualities, but he's also not an out-and-out out midfielder. He's, he's not an out-and-out out any particular position. He's just very good technically. And it's, it's almost like pinning him in, a, in the right position to, to get the most out of him. And yeah, I, I don't know, man. I'm... I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a massive, massive Trent fan, but yeah, he he's got to play <laughs> ultimately. <laughs> well, we can move from one uh, set of defensive woes to another to your mm-hmm. club, Manchester United, who played a match on Saturday that I'm sure you would love to forget. Although the scoreline kind of flattered you in the end. I mean, could it have massively been more? Fabulous, massively. It should have been more. We deserved more. Um, and I was actually quite disappointed in the way we, start, we set up and, and we started out going man for man in midfield against a team that has more, is, is more athletic, more structured, has more fight. Like United are a team bereft of, of confidence and just don't seem to have that desire. We've got too many players that are passengers in the game. So to go to St. James's Park and expect, you know, an 18-year-old Kobe to, to manage a, a whole midfield, having McTominay bomb forward every two seconds and just having any lack of discipline, you know, Bruno's, he's, he's got that captain's armband. You kind of feel, you feel for him sometimes because you see that he's trying. He wants to be everywhere on the pitch and try to really galvanise the team. But sometimes it's just like, you know what? Just calm down a bit and just get your foot on the ball and let's just relieve a bit of pressure from ourselves. We've got Martial, who... I'm tired. I'm tired of Martial. So much promise. <laughs> He's just... And it's crazy because when he does pop up with the odd goal, there's so much euphoria. I don't know what it is about Martial that when he scores, he just feels so like... It's just so nice watching it. Maybe because we've seen him as like an 18-year-old in that debut game against Liverpool and you still kind of like you're just always waiting for that ability and that potential to come through but he's what almost 28 27 now you just think it's time to go Rashford my gosh I could go on and on about United there's but let's let's stick to the game it was it was poor it was poor structure and I think that goes down to the manager um maybe Amrabat should have been there alongside Manu but Newcastle are a well-drilled side. Like watching them overpower us, underlapping with Livermento and, and Trippier, watching them, you know, track back and win the ball back in their half, then turning and, and sprinting forward. You're seeing Joe Linton, Guimarez just dominating our midfield. Even um, Lewis Miley now, he's dragging our players left, right, and centre, and just picking up space in different different places. It was it was actually just embarrassing. Almost like boys watching, you know, men playing against boys. It was it was not enjoyable watch for us, man. It was not. Yeah, I United were so poor. They were so poor. So they didn't offer anything going forward. And you know, it's been the story for 
a couple years now that, you know, maybe introducing this game, I said you guys can't defend. It's not a volume thing, but I just have no faith in, in United to keep a clean sheet when it matters. But also, the, mm-hmm. the, the play is so poor going forward. There's nothing... You know, Maynu, I think Kobe Maynu has been a breath of fresh air in that, least, in that at least he's a young player that wants to get on the ball and wants the responsibility yeah. of taking the ball on. You know, even Bruno Fernandes, I think you pointed this out before, he only really wants to play on the one-two touch on the turn. And occasionally that works where you guys can steal something on the break where, you know, you, you're really under pressure, but he can receive the ball in the half space, on the half turn, do his thing, find Rashford streaking through. That's like every Man United's dream, basically. Every Man United yeah. fan's dream. Mm-hmm. But really, there's nobody else who wants to get on the ball. You know, Garnacho, I think, Alejandro Garnacho, I think he does want the ball. He wants to get on the ball. But there's very few uh, players that I have any faith in in the Manchester United side in terms of taking responsibility for the outcome of what's going to happen. Not even only uh, not only of the game, but of the play that you're in. You know, there, there's just a lot of people that go missing. Luke Shaw, I think, yeah, takes that responsibility. But there's very few guys. I mean, when you look out there as a United fan, you look at the squad, the team sheet that comes out. Are there even three or four players that you look at and you're like, this person will take responsibility for this match? regardless of the circumstances? No, there, there really isn't. And every season or at the end of each season, I'm looking at the squad, I'm thinking, how many of these players do I actually want to keep to go into the following season? And it's the same four or five. It's Luke Shaw, it's uh, Garnacho, it's Rashford. He's having a poor season, but it's Rashford, it's Bruno. Um, Hodgland, I've seen a lot in, enough promise. Um, but he's 19, so I'm not even going to pin that much hopes on him just yet. Um, mainly like his breakthrough season. Um, he's been a fan favorite from preseason. But outside of that, honestly, most of, all of those players could go. Like Anthony could go, Maguire could go, Lindelof could go, McTominay could go, Martial could go, Dallo could go, Juan Bissaka. You know, he, he came back and and put his head down and got back into into the first 11. But is Wan-Bissaka as a fullback really going to win us a league? Is he really going to make us challenge for the Champions League again? Probably not. The squad players in Malaysia, squad players in Van der Beek, there's just so many gaps that needs to be filled that it just doesn't fill you with much hope. And you just think, you know, we're going game by game. We're trying to be pragmatic and... We're just hoping for, like you said, that moments of brilliance for maybe Bruno, from, but maybe Rashford. Um, and we're seeing less of those. And as a result, we're getting worse, worse, um, worse results as, as a team. Um, we're not having those moments of brilliance as much. I mean, the week before against Everton, fantastic game, brilliant. Great goals that we scored. But then we go to Galatasaray and we can't, we can't hold a 2-0, 2-0 lead. We can't even get into a half-time at 2-0. Like, it's... <sighs> I don't know, man. It, it, it's not... And then you're thinking, should the manager go? Is it, really, is it really the ownership? Like, I'm almost not even believing the whole ownership excuse anymore because at the end of the day, we've had multiple managers, multiple, the same pretty much players, new players being bought, each manager's been backed. 
I just think the club is rotten. Like, it is rotten through the core. We need to restart again. We need to do an AC Milan or, I don't know, and just just start with academy players and just let them grow and develop and just forget about the wage budget, forget about attracting stars and just really have an identity. But I don't even know why identity I think the manager, is Ten Hag. Yeah, yeah. The, the manager needs to be held to account. I mean... You haven't won. I, I saw this stat. It might have come out after the game. It's been two years since Manchester United beat a team that's in the top eight. Team. Yeah, in the top eight. That is not an acceptable yeah. uh, return for Manchester United. I say this as someone who despises Manchester United <laughs> as an <laughs> Arsenal fan. But that cannot be acceptable. Yeah. I mean, that kind of – and th- that's not just been, you know, somebody dug that out of – the you know somewhere deep in the stats everybody can see this that when manchester united go up against another top team they're not up to the challenge they're not up to it they they don't have anything especially in the middle of the park but also at center back at center forward i mean you know i i agree with you that hoyland is a promising youngster but you're right that you can't put that much on him and the the people that make the money you know uh Fernandez, he does get it done. I think he, you know, he has got it done. Marcus Rashford, what's he getting paid? And he's not getting it done at the level that you need him to. And I just think that's all over the squad. I've seen this at Arsenal for years. The goalkeeper, I mean, there, there's just people that are not producing at the level required. And it's not down to the players at some point. I, I do think that the management leaves something to, to be desired. And, you know, the Glazers have been there. The owners have been there for years. It's been bad. But they've given these managers a lot of money to spend. And, you know, exactly. when I was down in Miami, exactly. I was down in Miami this week, and I talked to Jamie Carragher uh, for a story that I'm going to mm-hmm. do. And it came up, you know, what is the deal with Manchester United? And he said the manager has too much power. That's what he said immediately. Mm. He said the manager has too much power. And I thought that was interesting because I felt that the problem at Arsenal for a while was that there was nobody to replace Wenger and there was nobody Mm. to replace Sir Alex Ferguson. I guess that Arsenal have just found the right person to get into that vacuum with Mikel Arteta. He's made good signings. He's made good decisions with a more holistic vision for what the club should be. Maybe Manchester United just need to find that person. But I definitely agree that probably it's almost like the Glazers kind of just leave the club to be run without any real guidance. So it's like, okay, results aren't great for a while. Let's get a new manager in. Let him bring in whichever staff he wants and let's throw some money at him and he'll turn it around. And we've been doing that consistently. Um, And I just think that there's no one, yeah, no one holds the manager accountable. You know, you've got Scott McTominay who you wanted out, but he gets a couple goals for us, a couple late goals, and now... He's he's starting every game for us in midfield, yet he's nothing like the player you want. He doesn't do he doesn't build up, he doesn't get on the ball, he doesn't have, you know, great tactical or, or technical ability. So you're thinking this this is clearly a player that's not a Ten Hag or a Dutch Ajax kind of player, yet he's now starting every week. It, you bring in Onana who's been lauded as like one of the best you know, ball playing centre um, goalkeepers. And we're lumping 40-yard balls to Garnacho every time he gets on the ball. It, it's, 
it do, it also it beggars belief like what's happening like is the managers just being like you know what these players aren't good enough they can't play the football i want them to play so let's just put them in their strength and hope that their strength outweighs and, and gets us results because McTominay's best position is that number eight and just crashing into the box over 90 minutes and hoping for a goal. If he doesn't get a goal, he does nothing for you. Bruno, on the half turn, pinging balls in. If that gets cut out or it's not an inch-perfect pass, he brings nothing for you. If Rashford's not on the last shoulder and making those diagonal runs and gets a goal, he does nothing for you. Like There's too many players that just do nothing for you unless they are doing the one trick that they have. Anthony, if he doesn't cut in and and get a, a goal, like, you know, a curler in the back post, he does nothing for you. If, you know, when bissaka is not sliding and winning last-ditch challenges, does he help you build out from the back? Is he good in transition? No. It's, there's too many, there's too many problems. It's, and it's getting tired. It's actually getting, I don't know why I still watch the games. <laughs> I will say that, as much as I slag off all the Ajax um, signings from Ten Hag, I actually thought when Anthony came on, you guys looked a bit better. I've never really said that before, but from 84, 85 minutes on, that's when you guys looked threatening. And Anthony had one ruled out. Yeah. Even against Galatasaray, to be fair, he was, he was one of our, our better attackers. Um, and then, you know, he had a pretty decent game against Galatasaray. Then... Rashford comes in and has an absolute stinker. So <laughs> there may be there may be some truth in, in Sancho's defiance to not apologize to the manager and his belief that you know there's favoritism in the squad. But there's favoritism in every squad. That doesn't mean you don't put your head down. But yeah, I don't know, man. It's <sighs> I just think the biggest the biggest the, <laughs> the biggest count against Ten Hag, the biggest charge that you could make is that even when he's got everybody fit and he's doing his thing, the football mm. is turgid. It's not good. You know, yeah. even when he's got Just everything in place, it still doesn't look good. No. So, you know, we could have Martinez back, who's great in possession, and we can play out from the back that he loves. And, you know, left side, he's all talking about having a left-sided centre-back that can create and, and give more options and angles. When Casemiro's back in the team, Varane's been iced out. I'm sorry, like, I don't buy the whole Maguire and Varane situation. And I don't care how well Maguire plays. I don't care how many mistakes Varane can make in the game. Or over. He's the better player. He's a more experienced player. And he has qualities that can actually make us be on the front foot and play with a higher line and not sit so deep. So... <sighs> Yeah, it, it's starting to look like the manager's kind of just bereft of ideas at the moment and he's just resorting to hopeful football. And that's not what we brought you in for. Like, a lot of United fans would have been happy with us coming sixth, seventh this season, but seeing a real identity and a real a real plan. After last season, playing a lot more pra pragmatic and counter-attacking football and transition football, we thought, OK, cool, second season now. Let's see a real Ten Hag side and... It's worse than the season before. Yeah, yeah. I I worry about <laughs> I worry about United, and I agree with you. By the way, on Varane, I think you know class is permanent. I think all things being equal, if if this man is fit, he should be playing in, be. in this Manchester United side. I I don't yeah. understand the Maguire thing. I I guess that the 
the manager's looking to draw commitment out of the players to say whoever's most committed is going to play, whatever his rationale is. I don't see it. But on on the brighter side of things, I guess Newcastle United are beginning to be a proposition again. It's sort of interesting to see them come together after a fairly, if not disappointing, sort of -of run-of-the-mill beginning of the season. But now you see players... I mean, I was reminded in this match that Kieran Trippier is probably the best right back in the league. Even, you know, you take out even his his contributions that are more solid. He can take a free kick and smash it in off the, you know, it almost goes in off the top the bottom of the crossbar. His service is incredible. I mean, is he the best right back in the league? Um, I think he's the most well, all-rounded right back in the league. Um, and yeah, his delivery, his set pieces, his his tenacity, and he's not, he's not young as well. And, and he's still been able to keep up with, you know the the quick players in the league. Um, no, I, I I for me he's number one, um, probably closely followed by by Walker, but I think at Newcastle you have a lot more dogged defending needed. Um, I don't think you're under pressure as much at, at City, and you know they are conceding some goals, but again I think it's, that's just down to some poor poor defending or lack of concentration. But yeah. At, it's like every game he plays, it's like a cup final for Trippier. He's he's so dogged in his defense, and he's so he always provides an overlap and just makes Almiron, you know, look better and gives him the option to to cut inside and be involved in the play. And yeah, I, I think he's I think he's quality. And, and United were close to signing him before before he went to to Newcastle, and a lot of fans at the time were were a bit unsure. And I was for that signing. Um, I, I saw that. We needed someone else just a, a little bit more solid, and technically he's he's sound as well. And you get a seven he, out of ten every game. He is a dogged defender as well. You're right to point that out. It's not just his quality on the ball. Also mm. on the other flank, Tino uh, Livramento, who was mm. a very well regarded youngster at Southampton. We shouldn't. I shouldn't act like it comes out of nowhere, but he was yeah. running all over Manchester United from uh you know right. He's a right footed left back who's running all over the Red Devils. I mean, what did you yeah. make of that? He had a field day. And then that helps when your right winger doesn't follow his follow his man and doesn't track back. But no, he's he's been very impressive. And even when he's played right right back, he's, he's been impressive as well. Um, and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if, because I think Dan Byrne is still injured, if if he'll, he'll keep his place or Dan Byrne will go back into that into that 11. But... He's quick. He's a short in possession. He can cut inside. He's comfortable on the ball. Um, he's got a great, great combination with with um, Anthony Gordon as well. And Anthony Gordon's another player that's that's steadily becoming one of the consistent attackers in the league as well. And I didn't see that coming from from his days at Everton. So they've they've got a lot of they've got a lot of exciting players, um, and they're gonna just keep. I, I love Isak. I think he holds up the ball so well. His overall play is fantastic. Um, he doesn't get in the box enough for me. Um, that's probably why he doesn't. You won't get that, you know, 20, 25 goals a season just yet. But his overall play and, and he just links up and works so so hard up front as well. Um, and I think that's that's what it is about Newcastle. Like they're they're just their basic level of work rate 
gets them results and then they've got the quality in, in certain areas to punish you. What were your thoughts when Anthony strikes the ball and it hits off an offside Harry Maguire <laughs> to go in and it's ruled out? <laughs> Was that your United experience this season in a nutshell? Yeah, it's... I knew that wasn't going, that wasn't the goal. I knew it was going to be rolled, rolled off straight away, and I just thought, yeah, just it would have been nice for Anthony to get a goal. Uh, he's had a lot of stick recently, deservedly. Um, but yeah, of all the players, it had to be you know the big headed Maguire to get in the way. It was it's typical, but yeah, things things aren't going our way. Um, but a lot of it's down to our own our own play. Um, I just looking on for the to the fixture for the for the next few games. We've got Liverpool in a couple of weeks. Um, we've got a big game against Bayern. I just, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't see where the goal's going to come from and I don't see how we're going to keep a clean sheet. I mean, where does the manager stand with you? I'm sure you ask 100 Manchester United fans, everyone will have a different answer. I mean, is is he under serious pressure? Yes, but it's almost like it's better the devil you know kind of thing. I don't be, I don't see an abundance of top quality managers out there for us to be screaming to replace him with. So it's yeah, I, I, I kind of I think a lot of United fans are just hoping for the whole ownership change to see if that's going to have an impact on the on the footballing side. Um, if we have some real structure above the manager and, and he has some accountability and actually told no, you can't spend 100 million, Anthony. Here's you know 30 million on a German winger that we scouted for the past six months or whatever, who's going to fit your style of play. Sometimes that's needed. Um, and actually offloading players and, and as a club being like, cool, Maguire, he's on 200K or whatever. West Ham only offering 20 million, but he's not going to fit into the manager's plans. Let him go and not be thinking about recouping how much we spent four or five years ago. And then he just continues in the side. I, I think... Yeah, he, it's a big step up from Ajax to United. Um, and we've spoken about this in the previous management. I think under you guys with Arteta, Edu is a big part of why you guys are also doing well. It's not just Arteta. And, and I think there's no one at United that can kind of hold a manager's hand or just give him a bit of guidance as well. So, yeah, I, I think he might as well stay because there's no one else. Um, and I think the structure is probably more, uh, more of an issue. Yeah. Makes sense. Well, I mean, we you yeah. bring up Arsenal. We may as well touch on uh, a club whose project is in a slightly better position, and I'm obviously biased and enjoying <laughs> that. But I was sweating. I was absolutely sweating this result when it was going down. This <laughs> felt like, you know, 2007-2008 was sort of my baptism I'd, I'd been watching for a year or two before that, but that was my baptism as a fan. I watched this yeah. Arsenal team back then that was, you know, Cesc Fabregas, Tomasz Rosicki, Robin Van Persie. Van Persie was injured for a bunch of the of the season, but, you know, Emmanuel Adebayor, Alexander Kleb playing this, like, beautiful brand of football, passing people off the park, it seemed like every match was out of sight after 30 minutes, but somehow they would find a way to draw a match that they should not draw or lose a match they should not lose. And I had that fear watching this match where the first two goals that Arsenal scored 
in this match were two mm-hmm. of the best of the season, I thought. But by yeah. the end, yeah. I was I was absolutely <laughs> quivering on my couch. I had no idea what was going to happen. I mean, were were you did it seem like the same old story to you watching that that Arsenal match and and seeing them on the ropes for no reason at all? How did they get even get themselves in that position? Yeah, I guess maybe you'd probably have to say a bit of naivety, complacency, playing at home. You've got the two goals. You're playing well. Um, you know, if you shift, you know, another gear or two up, you could probably could have got a couple more. Um, but but Wolves are a dangerous side, um, and they can be a bogey side for for a lot of the league. Uh, and then when it went to two one, it did suddenly become a very nervous game, and you're thinking. Could could it end up being a draw? Could could Arsenal re- regret taking their foot off the gas a bit here? But I don't know. You're you're grinding out like when you need to get that result, you're doing it already this season. And I am seeing a little shift in the mentality of you guys. I'm I'm just seeing a bit more stubbornness to be like, no, we're, we're going to get the result today. We're not going to just you know falter the last minute. Um, I I generally do hope that. You guys can continue it for the rest of the season. Um, but, yeah, it, it did almost look like same old Arsenal just being a bit naive and, yeah, not 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 finishing the game off. Yeah, I think you're right. The thing that I never saw back in 2007, 2008, which was such a great side, but they didn't have that grinded-out mentality. It wasn't there. It was either mm-hmm. we're going to pass them off the park play the best stuff in Europe and beat the hell out of them, or it might go wrong and we're not going to win the match. I think it's, it's certainly much more of a results first approach from this Arsenal squad Mm -hmm. where it is the the manager has clearly sat down in the summer and said, we are going to be very difficult to beat. We're going to have one of the best defensive Mm -hmm. records in the league, which they had a very good defensive record last season. It should be said, but there's the emphasis now is we will not concede. We will not allow you in. And we're going to, you know, eventually work ourselves into form and start playing that stuff. And I thought, I mean, that the first goal, the first goal was fascinating to me because it looked to me as if they had been spending a lot of time on the training ground, playing against low blocks, saying, how do we break them open? And Saka's, Little touch in between the two defenders inside. Then uh, Gabriel Jesus posts up his defender long enough that he can shift the ball in and find somebody. That was mm. they. They know what they're going to be up against every week now, yeah. which is you know everybody's yeah. in and around their own box trying to keep you out. And I thought that the it was so precise, the precision of it mm. was unlike you know City can do that, but there's nobody else in the league that can do that. Yeah. And, and it seemed like a pattern of play that could be replicated for, for a lot of games. Um, that's that style of goal. We're probably going to see a lot more of it. And, and Saka is just, he's unbelievable, man. He's a real difference making in your side and having a player that can just break a, a team down. Like I said, with just a bit of ingenuity with, with shifting the ball, with driving forward and, and He's always brave. That's something I love about Saka. He's always brave on the ball and he always go at his man or he always try to drive forward or or just, yeah, try and open up the game some some shape or form. Um, yeah, and it was, it was a well-worked, well-worked goal. Um, and Jesus is back. He, he's fully fit. 
and you guys will play better with, with him, even if he's not as clinical um, as Trossard or, or Nketiah. Um, and with Odegaard as well back and, and get into full fitness. Once you guys have party, I think it's it's pretty it's pretty sealed for you guys. I'm not going to lie to you because you don't seem like conceding goals. And if you do concede, it's one or two at best. But Arsenal are always going to get goals against you. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of positives there. And I think going away from home as well, you're a lot more solid. Um, you're... Your play is a lot less naive. I think that's probably the best, the best word for it. Um, and Declan Rice has really transformed, transformed you guys. Um, you just got to make sure he stays fit. Yeah, I mean the second goal was also fantastic. I mean that was like Zinchenko mm-hmm. in a nutshell. This whole game was Zinchenko in a nutshell. Where later mm-hmm. on in the game, his defensive lapse puts us in trouble. But on that one, I mean, the way he strings that together, again, so precise, so fluid, so sharp. Um, and then Martin Odegaard, I've been pinpointing this for a year and a half, I would say, where I, I think that Martin Odegaard is maybe the best midfield goal scorer in the league. And when I watch him play, you saw this on this strike that he had this weekend against Wolves, where he reminds me of Harry Kane. I once watched Harry Kane take uh his pregame drills essentially like his shooting practice before mm-hmm. the match and yeah. he was just taking him around the top of the around the d around the top of the box and smashing in these low hard strikes low hard and true in the corner yeah that's yeah. all you need to score goals at any level yeah and that's what he was doing over and over again he would he would score seven eight nine in a row and when I look at Martin Odegaard now, I get the impression that he has been doing the same thing on the training ground for a year and a half, where every every day he's he's taking that kind of shooting drill. And I've seen it. He had 15 Premier League goals last season. I mean, yeah. he if he can stay fit, he's a serious proposition. Yeah. Uh, and that was something before he came to Arsenal. I don't think he, he was prolific yeah. in front of goal. He was always involved in approach play and, and getting assists, but... You know, I think it was something that was said after his first season that if he starts adding goals to his game, it's going to take him to that world class bracket, and, and I think he's he's reaching it at the moment. Um, but yeah, Odegaard, he's just such a clean player. Like every pass, every touch, you know, his first touch outside of the foot, inside of the foot, you know, it's always away from the defender. It's always forwards. There's there's always purpose in his play. He and he hits the ball so cleanly as well. Um, yeah, man, you guys are a good team. It's it's sickening to be honest. You've got a good team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I but mean, yeah, it's, I, it's, 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 it's. I was going to say it's, yeah, it's go good on. to see another young player that that we've seen grow up. You know, from from um, I guess Norway going to Real Madrid at such a young age, and then realizing that potential. It's you're you're, you're seeing the, the fruits of his labor, really. Yeah, I I, I agree. You know. Obviously, I'm happy to agree with the idea that we are we're a top side, but <laughs> I just think the solidity is something I've never really seen as somebody who became an Arsenal fan in 2006. I miss the yeah. days when they had the big boys in the back and the the system to make the best to make the most out of those big boys at the back, the hugely physical, intimidating players. Now I'm seeing that again, where. It's not just yeah. Declan Rice who is probably you know the best player in at the in the sixth role in the league and poss- possibly across Europe, 
but behind him, Saliba and Gabrielle, you know, William Saliba and Gabrielle, formidable, absolutely formidable. I think that's the best center back partnership in the world, in the world, probably. I mean, you know, you look at City have three, four top center backs who they might, it's comparable, I would say. I think Nathan Ake is maybe the best natural defender in the league, along with Saliba. Mm. But those two together, those are a couple of big boys. That's the twin towers back there. And they're not just big, they are pacey. They can play that high line. The, the reason that Tottenham started the season so well is that they could play that high line with Van de Ven and his pace. But Arsenal have that pace. And they got the physicality. And those guys like to be on the ball. Gabriel has a mistake in him, yes. But mostly, he's a Brazilian on the ball. He can play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can play, um, and I and I agree that there may be other better individual players, uh, defenders. Maybe I'll, I'll probably take a Diaz over Gabriel, but as a mm. as a pairing, they probably are the best best in the league because they've consistently shown they can perform, and they've you know they've they've defended well against all types of of attacks. You know, um, they've kept Haaland quiet, they've kept Kane quiet, they've they've kept a lot of players quiet, and. You know, I just even that fullback uh, with Ben White and with um, Zinchenko, they can then bring in a Tomiyasu, who's just an elite defender as well, and can play on both sides, can play with both feet. There's you guys have just got a lot more answers to questions um, than you did before, uh, and you know the players that are coming in, there's not that drop off as much. Even Jorginho, I questioned that signing, but. You know, in the right games, he's he's perfect for you guys. You know, he brings that calm, that calmness. You know, he keeps the ball well. He he rotates the ball. He's you know, I got a bit of experience as well. You know, in winning in winning titles with Chelsea and Italy. So I, I just think all round you've you've got that still, um, and you've learned a lot of lessons from last season. And I just think barring injuries, I I can't see you guys not continuing this this rich vein of form. Well, I hope you're right. And you mentioned Tomiyasu. Fingers <laughs> crossed that he can that he's going to stay fit. That's always been an issue for him. Yeah. And he's got another concern. Yeah, but I'm hoping you're right. And I'm hoping that we can have another uh, another good week here. And uh, maybe next weekend we'll have more top matches to talk about. This is a good one. Yeah, it's been a good one. <laughs>